The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Hello out there, my dear friends and resolute listeners of the Healthy Steps Radio Show, and thank you for keeping your radio dial tuned to WMNF Tampa. A Monday morning without you is a lonesome walk indeed. So let's draw back the curtain and start the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey. You're encouraged to participate today by calling 813-239-9663 or sending your emails to dj at wmnf.org. You can also text us at 813-433-0885. Well, Dr. Harvey, where are we going with the show today? Hello, everybody out there in listener land. Happy Monday. And today, thank you, Bill, for that uh, announcement. And uh, thank you, uh, DJ Spaceship, for being on the boards. And I bet Irene is on the phones. I'm hoping so. And um, looking for a good show today. Um, Today is an Ask Me Anything day. And uh, we'll be having another guest here in about two weeks, just to prep you. Um, Amish Shah is the... Uh, producer, director, creator of a movie called The Natural Law. The Natural Law is what uh, is known as Ayurveda. Ayurveda is the health system or the the view of of life, basically, um, that the Indian people have followed for many, many, many centuries. It's one of the oldest forms of uh, healthcare um, uh, um, paradigm in in the world. Uh, thousands of years of history follow Ayurveda, and the movie is amazing. I've seen it, and uh, it's worth seeing. And you can actually uh, connect with the movie via a button, I believe, on um, the Functional Medicine Florida um, webpage, and possibly also on the Healthy Steps here. And in the meantime. Um, Interesting stuff in the news. I keep finding things that are just so interesting. Um, in Healthline, a new study um, is talked about. <clears throat> the um, study was done by HealthGrades, an online health resource, and uh, OutCare Health um, for gay and lesbian. Uh, so the LGBTQIA plus people are surveyed in this. And the study found that 47% of this group experienced medical gaslighting. They are actually also experiencing medical trauma, 18%, 10%, they've had some sort of medical discrimination. And um, it's really interesting that um, this is occurring. I mean, they feel less supported, uh, traumatized, and um, uh, uh, even feel some exclusionary treatment. But what I found really interesting about the the, um, overall study is that it was around 50% of uh, the group that felt um, medical gaslighting and that they felt less uh, uh, comfortable um, than their heterosexual um, identifying peers. 26%, however, of heterosexual identifying people feel that they're gaslighted by their doctor. 26%. This is a pretty incredible number for me, um, that a quarter of all people go to the doctor but are not sure they're getting the right story. These 
um, uh, people, um, you know, 49% of the LGBTQIA respondents agreed that um, the doctor listened to them when they expressed concerns about treatments and prescriptions. Think about that. Less than 50% of them feel that the doctor actually listens to the patient when they express concerns about treatments and prescriptions. But what's interesting is only 61% of um, <clears throat> straight or heterosexual respondents felt that they were being listened to. So that's 40% of most overall straight people believe they're not being listened to, 50% of gay people. And only 40% of LGBTQI participants felt that they were confident communicating with their doctor. Whereas 63% of straight people said that that's still a third of all straight people do not feel comfortable that, you know, communicating with their doctor. It's they, they, they think there's a block here. Um, 44% of LGBTQIA uh, think that their doctor takes their opinions seriously. 44%. So 60 or 56, 56% believe that they're, they're not being taken seriously. And, but here's the deal. Um, 43% of straight people have the same feeling. 57% uh, actually um, feel that they're being taken seriously by their doctor. That's pretty low. Think about it. Um, what, what, what are you expecting about your visit in the doctor's office? that you're not getting. I mean, consider this is like a third of all straight patients, a half of all gay patients feel like they're not being taken seriously, that they're not communicating with their doctor effectively, that the doctor doesn't listen. This is a hard place to be because we're talking about life and death situations. And many people avoid screenings. Um, uh, gay people are 26% more likely than straight, and straight people to avoid screenings, but um, only 26% more. <laughs> That's still a lot of uh, straight people are skipping screenings too. And so 15% um, of people were told that their symptoms were all in their head. 18% uh, medical trauma. Uh, it's it's really a, a, a very serious situation here where... Um, you know, visiting a doctor to get healing ends up being harmful, destabilizing and deadly because you run away and you avoid treatment because you've been uh, negated. Your patient, your concerns are negated about a major health issue. You're not being listened to. You're being dismissed, invalidated. Uh, this can cause hopelessness, worthlessness, depression, anxiety. Um, and, and, and yes, you know, being told that your physical condition, um, mold and, 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 and other toxins can cause strange mood changes. I mean, these are not necessarily things that need to be treated, but they're being pushed off as, oh, this is all in your head. Um, and, and uh, another whole issue is that we pathologize so many, behaviors. I mean, the diagnostic and statistical manual uh, that psychiatry and psychology uses is basically a list of behaviors that have been pathologized. You know, if you pick your nose on the left side, not the right side, you're a left-hand nose picker and there's a need for Prozac, right? Um, this is the kind of diagnostics that are going on today without having any kind of deeper looking into the medical issues. 
And so, yeah, it's really complex when we go to the doctor. And, and I feel that everyone should be expecting respect, open-mindedness, uh, candid discussion, um, ability to understand and discuss nuance when it comes down to treatment, and the ability to accept that a patient may not be interested in a treatment at all, but that's no reason for a practitioner to throw a tantrum because it's not the practitioner's choice. The practitioner's job is to provide information so the patient can make a valid decision, not to cajole them into a specific treatment because the doctor wants that person to have that treatment. Explain all the treatments, explain all the options, and let the patient make the decision. If they don't want an invasive treatment, there's no reason to have ego attached and to be mad. It's just the fact that the person doesn't want to do that treatment. May not have the money, may be scared, maybe further discussion is needed. But when we have only four minutes to discuss something with the doctor, it becomes very difficult to actually discuss anything of value. And <clears throat> that leads us into these problems. And, you know, people do feel gaslighted a lot because we have things like um, um, proton pump inhibitors, those those purple pills for gastroesophageal reflux, heartburn, and, and bellyache. Um, those, when you use them long-term, are associated with creating cardiovascular disease, stroke, uh, kidney disease, and dementia. And so really, is this the treatment that we're going to actually cause dementia to care for your heartburn when there might be another solution? This is gaslighting and this scares people. And this makes it very difficult for us to actually have good, solid relationships with our practitioners and to feel like we're not being gaslighted. And I want you to feel not gaslighted. So let's open the conversation up. This is Healthy Step Show on WMNF. I'm Dr. Fred Harvey, and we are in uh, at 88.5 FM Tampa. And the phone number is 813-239-9663. DJ at WMNF.org is our email. And I believe we have someone on the line. Patrick, are you there? Yes. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Hey, hey uh, calling to uh, to offer gratitude. Uh, I called you some time ago about a cervical neck uh, bulging disc issue and how it was uh, very disruptive in my life. And, uh, yes, sir. You uh, you inspired me on uh, you know maybe trying uh, things that are outside of the medical profession of being uh, cut on and, and drugs and all. So. Uh, found a, uh, a good chiropractor, or I mean, a, a chiropractor I could trust and feel comfortable with, uh, tried uh, exercises that uh, he prescribed and which seemed to work, and also meditation, um, you know, directing the body's healing awareness and energy, and uh, it's it's powerful stuff, and uh, I really feel a, uh, a sense now of calm and healing, and, uh, you know, it's gotten better. Not fully recovered. It came out 75. I don't expect things to fully ever recover, but uh, I'm learning to live with it and I'm happy and I want to thank Patrick, I am thrilled with your results. I am so grateful that you were able to have the information and to apply it. That's beautiful. Uh, congratulations and thanks for your uh, gratitude. Well, thank you. God bless. Bye. God bless. I think Carol is on the line. Hello, Carol. No Carol at the moment? 
So, um, other things in the news. Um, currently, um, the uh, well, I was talking about the pro proton pump inhibitors. This was just a recent article, August 9, 2023. Cumulative use of proton pump inhibitors and the risk of dementia, uh, the atherosclerosis risk in community studies. So, they're actually looking at heart disease and seeing what happens there. But they showed that um, there was. Um, a 33% higher risk of developing dementia after 4.4 cumulative years of using PPIs. That is really high statistics. Um, that's like um, uh, 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 the, the statistics you get from having uh, sleep apnea. Um, you have a huge increase in developing dementia when you have sleep apnea. Interestingly enough, though, um, in, in the... Um, same vein of dementia, um, using aromatherapy oils actually can help to improve memory. Um, uh, but I think Carol's back in the line, so let's talk to Carol. Hello, Carol. Hi, Dr. Harvey. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Um, talking about problems with your doctor not, you know, taking you seriously. Um, my son went to a walk-in clinic and had a hookworm on his yes. pulse. And they gave him a shot and wrote a prescription for 40 pills. And of course, when he, when he went to the pharmacy, they, you know, it's thousands of dollars for that many pills. And I was wondering what's your take on the um, treatment of hookworm? Well, from what I understand, it's a one pill treatment. Um, I'm, I may be wrong, um, but um, um, I, I think that it's a pretty easy treatment with um, um, something called mebendazole or uh, uh, pirantol pamoate. I think both of those work for it. Um, and pirantol is like $8 for a box um, at the pharmacy generic. Um, and so I, I don't see why it would be thousands, but, um, um, maybe it wasn't hookworm. No, well, I don't, I think that the diagnosis was correct, but I think the treatment was not, um, sounds and, like it. Pardon? It sounds like that was, um, an incorrect, um, uh, treatment because the, the Centers for Disease Control, which does have some decent information when they're not trying to snow us, um, the, um, Anti-helminthic medicines, that's anti-worm medicines, the drugs that get rid of parasitic worms. Um, mebendazole and albendazole are drugs of choice for hookworms, and infections generally treated for one to three days. So um, I'm not sure uh, what they were thinking when they wrote for 40 pills, but that does sound inappropriate. Well, he went back, and the doctor wasn't there that treated him, but today he was going to walk back in himself and talk to the doctor and tell him his story. And I hmm. know we have cats that get worms, and we treat them orally with this medication. And I understand farmers used to use periodically or regularly for their you know, families when they were you know, on the farms and everything. And this is called P-Y-R-A-N-T-E-L-P-M-O-A-T-E, -E, oral suspension. 
Yeah, that's the parental Pamela that I mentioned. That's the one that's been used for many years, and it's over the counter. You can get it at any pharmacy for about eight or ten bucks. Right, that's what we have. And of course, my son, we weren't sure exactly if it was for form. So instead of starting, you know, from scratch, we figured he'd, you know, to go somewhere, and it was a walk-in, and this is our experience. So you were talking about gaslighting, and I thought, well, this is perfect for for this. Well, yeah, that that was a little confusing there, and and really, um, it may be that the uh, the other medications that are actually prescription, the albendazole and mebendazole, might be more effective since the other one's been around for so long. But it, you know, the over the counter still might work. Well, I think so. Um, I haven't talked to him yet today, so when I do, I will definitely tell him your take on it. And we were almost just going to have him take this <laughs> oral stuff that we have around for the cat. But we hated to do that without some kind of a... Well, yeah, you know, it's like the people that got made fun of for taking the horse paste ivermectin during the pandemic when the government was gaslighting everyone and and, um, uh, making it seem like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine weren't effective and making those two very effective and cheap uh, generic medications unavailable for most of the population. It was a really sick thing we watched. I know it was horrifying, wasn't it? Really yes. Fun. Well, um, we thank you for your input and your weekly conferences. We feel like we're getting special um, treatment for just listening to you. So thanks so much and have a good day and keep up the good work. All of you and Arlene was wonderful. Last week I called and got in too late. So today I, I got in early. I just you got in real early. Good stuff, Carol. Glad to talk with you. Have a lovely day, and thanks for all the well wishes. Well, you're welcome, and thanks all of you guys there. I know it takes a team to do what you do, and we appreciate it. It does. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day. So John, I think, is on the line. Hello, John. How are you today? No John today? He slipped off. Well, I do have an email. Um, this is from Nina. And she asked, do people with diverticulitis need to refrain from certain foods? And uh, yeah, there is uh, um, actually a good idea um, when it comes down to that. I would, I would try to avoid foods that are irritating, foods that um, have um, um, qualities that might irritate the gut. So... Um, Things that have histamine in, uh, or that trigger histamine, tomatoes and 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 um, uh, strawberries, um, avocados and um, uh, aged cheeses, um, sauerkraut and red wine. All these things have histamine, and they may actually cause some stomach problems. And uh, yet, there's some uh, uh, cautions about nuts and seeds for diverticulitis. And frankly, I, I don't really believe that because I don't think I've ever seen a uh, uh, surgical pathology where they had a seed caught in a diverticulum and they said, there's the cause of this problem. Never. I think what happens is the some of the seedy f- fruits like tomatoes and uh, um, um, strawberries are actually histamine triggers and they may make you feel badly. Peanuts um, are actually, they can be a histamine trigger. They have lectins and they have uh, mold toxins in them. And so those things can cause uh, problems. Um, 
other people do have pre-nut allergy and the allergies may actually cause some of the stuff that would be associated with diverticulitis. What I think the best thing to do is to eat a high fiber diet with, when you have diverticulosis so you don't get the inflammation diverticulitis. And you want a mix of the um, uh, soluble fiber and insoluble fiber. Um, and that you'll get by eating uh, six to eight servings of vegetables and two to three servings of fruits every day as well as maybe a serving or two of whole grains. And it sounds like we have some callers. Tommy, are you on the line? Yes, I'm here. Hello, how are you today? Good, how are you doing? Excellent. What you got for us? Uh, I don't know exactly what your topic was supposed to be today, but uh, just quick words about the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. I just don't understand why there are drugs in our food and why the Food and Drug Administration is under one administration. That and, is a really interesting question, and I wish I knew some more of the um, um, complicated politics behind uh, that. Um, but, yeah, I hear you. Um, why? It, why? Goes, it goes to Go so many things. I mean, there's estrogen in bodies of water, like in high percentages, and people wonder why there's trans people in the world. It's Everybody starts off as female in the womb, and it's kind of a matter of the hormone exposure that you have that ends up what you end up. And no one ever has this conversation with food in that conversation, and it just drives me crazy. Well, I hear you, but could it be that trans people have been here forever and we're just talking about it now because we've pulled off some of the blinders from the very restrictive ideas of the puritanical Victorian and Edwardian yeah. eras that have clouded us with um, I, uh, bad I, opinions I, about reality? Yes, but I think this quote-unquote surge in trans people could also be tied to the foods that we expose ourselves to, or I should say the drugs that we expose it ourselves could be. to in our foods. Could and be also that... Could be also that um, we are feeling uh, our species is feeling the pressure of overpopulation, and we're actually um, having more people be non-reproductive to take some of the pressure off the species and the planet. Oh, I just I completely agree, but I just think that not having the conversation about the amount massive amounts of hormones that are in our foods unnaturally have an effect on our body. Oh, I agree. I think we should talk about toxins all the time. That's what I talk about. And those um, uh, um, medications and those toxins that are uh, hormonally active, these are all pollutants. They're all poisons. They're all toxins, and they shouldn't be on our environment. They shouldn't be in our bodies. And so, yeah, we really do need to address this. But the problem is, you know, we, we have a fascist economic system that is a capitalist fascist economic system that actually controls the distribution of all these things and controls uh, the way we actually subsidize the further poisoning of humans. I mean, come on, why do we, why do we approve, why does the FDA approve a, an Alzheimer's drug that doesn't work and that hurts people so that so that people can buy it and give the drug company some money for something that doesn't work it doesn't make sense and there's so much of this the, perfidy and that's why they point at the that them and blame them whoever them is at the for the day instead of actually addressing any of the real problems that are affecting our country Right, yeah, to divide and conquer, that's it. Use propaganda, have xenophobia, um, make scapegoats. That's the best way to keep people distracted and running around. Oh, the Democrats are bad, the Republicans are bad. Well, really, actually, not even the corporations are bad. What it is is that greed is bad and lack of love and lack of sharing is bad. 
You know, if, if people look inside themselves and say, what's wrong with the sharing situation on the planet today? I think we'd see that much of this is coming from a lack of love and everybody's a sinner because sin means without love. Right. And most people call themselves pro-life and have no care at all for the life on this planet. And it drives. Well, and also and also they they a lot of them support the death penalty, which proves that they're hypocrites. Yeah. You also can't be you can't be a, you can't be pro-life and be pro-gun at the same time. Guns are you can't be pro-life and pro-death penalty. There's an even bigger one because a lot of people Absolutely. that like to continue to enforce the death penalty that are pro-life. But that's ridiculous. That's a and complete oxymoron. I think and, you can't be pro-universal health care either, or you can't be anti-universal health care either and call yourself. Oh, well, there's a question there because we don't have health care and universal quotes health care end quotes, in this world means universal illness care paid for right. by the government to enforce a continued medical industrial complex. I don't want universal health care anymore. I used to be a fan. I don't want it until we overhaul the illness care system and remove its ability to control us. Absolutely. Until we fix that, we don't need universal health care because we don't have any. And this whole BS about developing universal health care, you know, Obamacare is not that. It's a fascist document that forces humans to buy a corporate product and then we send our tax dollars to the corporation for profit while they restrict our access. This is sick. This is profit from suffering and it needs to end. And to, uh, uh, that's uh, uh, Tommy. Or yeah, John. Thank you for thank you for you. Yes. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Um, and uh, I want to just identify our station. We are on WMNF eighty eight point five Tampa. This is the Healthy Step Show with Dr. Fred Harvey, and this is uh, really a nice, engaging show today. The phone number to call is eight one three two three nine nine six six three, and you can call the or uh, email the DJ at WMNF dot org. You can text us also at 813-433-0885. And I believe that John is on the line. Hello. Hi, John. Hey, yes, sir. What you got for us? Oh, uh, something's been happening to me for quite a while now. It's been uh, probably a couple years, maybe longer. I'll get a chill. I'll go out to the kitchen to get something. I'll get a chill. I'll start shivering uncontrollably and then start coughing. And I've been to the VA and I've asked them about it and they've given me tests and they, and they don't come up with anything. That's an interesting symptom complex, shivering and then coughing. Shivering uncontrollably. Like, I mean, I come out of a restaurant once, I got on my motorcycle, I got a chill. I had to pull over and put a jacket on immediately. Otherwise, I, I, I couldn't stop shivering. And do you have any medical problems? None at all. Don't take any medications? No, I take uh, stuff for heartburn in the morning. And that's, um, what do you call it? Um, I take a heartburn medicine in the morning. A VA gives so um, uh, is it, uh, the one I just talked about that causes dementia, the, um, proton pump inhibitor, uh, Nexium, Prilosec, uh, Lensoprazole, Pantoprazole? None of those. Omeprazole. Hmm. Omeprazole. There you go. Yeah. That's one of those PPIs. Long-term use of that is a heart attack, dementia, stroke, um, cancer, um, all kinds of good things. Really? Uh, um, Pressing heartburn in a different way may actually help you. Me, you go and actually heartburn, like eating the wrong food. And by that 
food, um, you get rid of the heartburn and not need the proton pump inhibitor. Um, um, I don't know if um, there is a, a specific problem for resolve cough. Actually, uh, cough can be a... Only getting every other word of yours, Doc. The actual reflux. So maybe there's something that you have. Oh, sorry. I could be of your reflux problem. And maybe that's really looked at a little more in detail. Adding a proton pump inhibitor to the symptom. Okay. Thank you. Recording stopped. Some Sounds like they've taken the music away. Um, okay. That's uh, not sure why I'm on. So I'll read a little bit here. Um, Recording stopped. Sunshine when he's gone It's not warm when he's away There ain't no sunshine when he's gone And he's always gone too long Anytime he goes away Under this time when I think, he's um... gone I'm back on. That was interesting. My computer program rebooted several times. And um, so, uh, not really sure where I was at the time, but um, here's an email from Jill. 
Um, hi, Dr. Harvey. I have been on omeprazole since I had my vertical gastric sleeve in 2018. If I don't take it, the reflux is horrible when I lay down in bed. Is there something better I can take? I've tried famotidine to no avail. Would cimetidine be a better option? Um, well, famotidine and cimetidine are not PPIs, not proton pump inhibitors. They are uh, um, Histamine receptor blockers, H2 blockers is what we call them, and they are they work by reducing the histamine. Histamine is an issue. A couple of things to consider um, in that situation. So um, the the surgery that Jill you had actually leaves you open to reflux because of the way it's done, and so to actually work on that, we can. Um, actually look at the foods you're eating, like reduce histamine containing foods. Um, eat nothing uh, for at least three hours prior to going to bed and drink nothing either if you can possibly avoid it, with the exception maybe a sip of water to try um, something like famotidine or cimetidine. Now, the dose of famotidine over the counter starts at 10 milligrams, but the therapeutic dose is 40 milligrams by prescription. And some people have actually with uh, bad symptoms have taken two of those a day, or they would mix them and use the cimetidine, which is a different version of the uh, same family of medicines. And you could try that. Um, uh, and the the cimetidine dose um, for terrible ulcers was as much as 800 milligrams, like twice a day. So there's a really wide range there. I wouldn't recommend going to those doses without having a doctor follow it. Um, but those things can work. And then um, there can be some mechanical things you can do. Um, there is a um, um, a medication called Gaviscon that has um, a, a um, it's a tablet or a liquid, but the tablet has a combination of <clears throat> some um, um, auger, I think. It's an algae um, um, kind of uh, a sticky kind of thing that, that um, um, makes kind of a gelatin kind of barrier and it's mixed with an antacid. And when you take that, it actually kind of rises to the top and sits at the top of your stomach so that if uh, anything tries to get up through, there's a bit of a, a barrier there. So you can um, <clears throat> look for um, Gaviscon, um, but uh, I don't like it as much as some because it does contain some aluminum. Um, and there may be some better ways to do that, looking for the individual ingredients in the Gaviscon. Those things may help and may help keep you away from that. So um, let's see. I think Peter is on the line. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Peter. Hey, uh, I won't take too much of your time, I hope. Um, so I have dental issues, and uh, I had a tooth that was not to get gross, but I had a, a molar in the back that was kind of broken, and it was kind of decaying away for a number of years. Okay, so it's time to get this pulled because it's not doing, I'm sure it's not doing my health any good. So I went into the doctor, a dentist pulled it, and uh, by the way, $500 to pull one tooth, and uh, that was kind of shocking. And then, oh, well, you know, the, the tooth behind that, the, the, the last molar, that's infected, and you need to pull that also. So I said, no, I'm going to wait on that because uh, one would be enough for one day. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so 
So now, um, yeah, I'm looking at uh, a, and then of course, well, what are we going to do with these two teeth that are pulled? What are we going to do here? Well, implant or bridge. And uh, it's like I've always thought that the implants were so barbaric. I mean, you're taking a bolt and screwing it into someone's jaw. Like, this is like Frankenstein. What the hell is this? So, um, yeah, I started researching it a little bit, and I, I find that um, there's an 88% failure rate on implants. And uh, not a lot of people know about this. The FDA is not involved in it whatsoever. There was a woman who worked for the FDA, she retired, and then for some reason got into looking at implants probably because she needed one. And she found, uh, she was a researcher with FDA, and uh, found that there was an 88% failure rate. And uh, wrote it all up, uh, you know, and brought it to the FDA and said, look, you need to put out some information on this, some warnings. And uh, they did. Uh, and then she found this... Um, a uh, uh, this website that the FDA has it's called Maud M A U D E, but it looks into uh, dental implant problems. So I guess my my long long winded question is, um, you know, uh, an implant is going to cost about six or eight thousand dollars each. Yes. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I was in Thailand years ago, and I had uh, uh, an abscess pop up, and it was like, wow. my. Uh, so I went to, I was in, happened to be in Bangkok, and it's internationally known as, uh, you know, great dental and great medical. I went to a, a, a dental hospital there. It was a 12-story building. That's all they did was dental. Uh, and uh, it was a two-day process. They were extremely cautious, surgical-like everywhere. It was $27 uh, wow. to have uh, a, a tooth pulled and a cavity filled, $27. So we're looking here at, like, you know, probably $15,000 plus and uh, with an 80% failure rate. And it's like, hold on, uh, I, I think I'm going to go to Mexico. <laughs> so what? So what did your vacation to Thailand cost you? Uh, well, I was over there anyway. I was. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, I was just you know traveling around for months. So people are doing a lot of um, um, uh, medical tourism. So you know you, you pay uh, uh, five thousand dollars for a beautiful vacation somewhere and twenty seven dollars for the surgery before you recover uh, in a beautiful <laughs> location. Sounds pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was, and I was there anyway, and I'm going to San Diego anyway to visit my son and daughter. And but So the bottom line is, though, with your teeth, I agree that uh, 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 teeth are infected, need to come out, because they're going to cause you vascular inflammation, you're going to get heart attacks, strokes, cancers, all kinds of stuff from it. Um, I have seen people who've had, like, I uh, uh, in the in the breast meridian, people have had a rotten tooth in the breast meridian for 20 years, have breast cancer. You know, there's there's... I'm not saying causality, but connectivity, because, you know, the acupuncture meridians are real and energy runs through the body. So if you have a disturbed energy channel, you're going to have problems. So they need to be dealt with. Do they need to have a titanium implant put in? Actually, I don't like the idea of implants much either. But if you have your last molar removed, you don't have anything to bridge to. And so it makes it difficult to actually do that one without an implant. So there's there's a lot of issues with 
getting these things done. And I don't know what the right answers are. I think there are many answers. And sometimes it does include putting an implant in because you need something to anchor your new teeth to. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to use... You have to use really good thinking about it, though. You have to have good nutrition, good jaw strength. You can't be sick. You can't be, um, you know, a, pay- a person who's got cancer and is is losing weight is not going to do well with an implant because their their jaw is going to sacrifice and it's going to be one of those uh, necrotized jaws that occur. And and so there's so many different layers here that need to be looked at. And I'd recommend you get a functional medicine consultation and get yourself in really good shape before you do any more stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's a foreign body that's in your system and your system yeah. is going to reject it. Exactly. Uh, it, put, it could, but this is very, very low reactivity. And all of the ones that I have seen have, except for one person who's had to have a redo, everybody else has done quite well. And the person that had to have a redo was inflamed. They had underlying problems. So they were going to have problems with getting these implants anyway. Yeah, uh, there was a... Um, uh, you know, part of this thing that I saw, it said, um, you know, you should get a metal test to find out yes, if you get any, any metals because some of the issues that they had with this failure rate is, you know, there were titanium uh, uh, implants, but they contained other metals like lead. They all contain. They all contain other trace metals, and you can do a metal test. There used to be... Um, I'm blanking on the name of the company, but there is a company out there and I've used it to test for all the dental um, implant stuff, including the, the, the plastics and stuff they put in instead of fillings now. So you can get tested for all kinds of things. But yeah, Peter, this has been interesting. I should move on. Okay. Have a great day, my friend. And um, Kent is on the line next. What you got for us today, Kent? Hi, how are you? Excellent. How about you? I have a, well, I'm good. I have a friend though who asked me to call they had a CT scan yes. for their, because they had a problem with their carotid artery. And in doing that, they discovered that her thyroid had a nodule on it. Okay. They don't, they don't know at this point, I think, whether it's cancerous or not. And she's wondering if there's any sort of natural treatment for the thyroid nodule. Well, actually, thyroid nodules, uh, isolated thyroid nodules, are more likely to be cancer, but not likely. <laughs> it's 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 relatively rare cancer, but there are more and more of them since we've had uh, um, Chernobyl and Fukushima. The the world has been blanketed with radioactive iodine and cesium, and so we're seeing a lot of um, um, new thyroid parathyroid tumors. I think many more than we used to in the past. Um, the um, Everyone to protect themselves from the radioactive iodine should be having some sort of iodine uh, in their bodies. Um, uh, I use iodized sea salt when I cook. I like sea salt because it's got all the all the other minerals in it, but iodized because it then adds the iodine that protects my thyroid and displaces that radioactive iodine and chlorine and fluorine and bromine from my system. In the meantime, you can get that from crunchy seaweed snacks and other things like that, but. Um, the, a nodule needs to be evaluated. A, a uh, nuclear radioactive thyroid scan can show whether that nodule is hot or cold. If it's a hot nodule, it's not likely to be cancer. If it's a cold nodule, it's more likely to be cancer. And so uh, that is something that should be looked at. If the person is tested for Hashimoto's thyroiditis, that increases the likelihood of a cancer there. And so they need to have a biopsy if they have Hashimoto's and a nodule. 
and many uh, surgeons would recommend a biopsy, many thyroid doctors would, and there are uh, really good dedicated uh, thyroid people in the Tampa area, here in Sarasota, uh, and many, many endocrinologists have actually specialized in that and are really good at what they do when it comes to the thyroid. So I would recommend two things, a good thyroid doctor and a good functional medicine doctor. Okay. All righty. Sure. Have a great day now. Thank you. And I want to thank you. Thank you. This is WMNF 88.5 Tampa Healthy Step Show. I'm Dr. Fred Harvey, and I am looking for your phone calls today, 813-239-9663, or emails at dj at wmnf.org. Let's see. Here's a question from Dan. Are there any stretches or supplements to help with bulging veins in the legs? So varicose veins. Varicose veins are often uh, a result of heredity because um, our parents have uh, given us genes that result in rather uh, ineffective valves in the veins of the leg. And so that ends up with back pressure happening in the venous system, which causes the veins to stretch and bulge. If you have very bulgy veins, you know, the size of your finger, they've stretched and they've grown and they're pretty much in that position. The um, thing to help with those is to wear support hose more than likely. But walking is a very good thing to do. Um, Taking vascular support um, in the form of fish oil and vitamin D and vitamin K. and anti-inflammatories that help the vascular system like resveratrol and curcumin. These are all very good things to help keep the blood vessels happier. But um, uh, reducing weight is another good thing. And uh, reducing sedentary behavior, getting up and moving hourly helps those veins clean out. Because when you walk, you help to actually um, uh, pump that fluid out of your lower extremities and help it function better. Here's a text. Let's see what we got here. This is kind of a big one. Uh, Joe in Dover um, is telling us, let me just expand that. There we go. Um, I can say that somebody wasn't passing on my information to my doctor when I was first talked to a physician assistant or nurse about two years ago. Um, He was taking 50 milligrams of metoprolol tartrate twice a day uh, after a short time of 100 milligrams twice a day and his blood pressure was too low. He told them he'd adjusted his medication, but it took him getting a new doctor to get things changed. Um, It could possibly the volume of patients they had to see every day. The staff was really overwhelmed. The prescription wasn't adjusted for two years until he got the current doctor and made a point to get her personally to adjust my dosage, which is now correct. Um, now he has enough metoprolol tartrate to last for years if he never fills another prescription. Um, other than that, he's had superior med- medical care. So some communication issues are really a bad thing. I mean, this is this is pointing out something really serious. Um, so in this system, his medication was recorded as a different dose, a higher dose that was making him sick. And... <clears throat> he was not listened to by the practitioners. And the dosage in the documentation was not changed. This is a major medical problem because people can die from these kinds of issues. When my father got um, COVID in June of 22, and I followed him to the hospital, 
um, I found out when I was witnessing the morning doses of medications. Fortunately, I was able to be there. They were administering medications from two or three years prior. He had not been on those medications for some time. And what the strange thing is, is he sees a doctor in the hospital system. His records are in the hospital system, computer system. Yet they didn't see this. They missed it. And they put him on old medications. No one, his primary care doctor, didn't talk to the hospital doctor because they have a now in this system a hospitalist that does all of the inpatient care. So no one was gaslighted, but there was still a major communication problem. And this is why uh, we see a quarter of a million Americans die every year from supposedly properly prescribed and properly dosed medications. These were actually properly prescribed four years earlier or whatever, but they weren't proper now. Um, hi, Deandra. What do you got for us today? Hey, good morning. I have a couple questions. I'll try to be quick. One, could something like a torn or busted ligament and like the ankle results in things like a stroke or a tendon, you know, that's busted. Can, uh, it, 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 can that trauma result in something like a stroke or like a rolled ankle really bad that tore a tendon? And then also I was uh, doing like a deep bowel stretch and I had my, my little one coming. Um, I noticed something. It was, uh, it was like a very strange pain. I noticed something. Um, and I had her come and touch my spine just between my shoulder blades, and it hurt horrifically. And ever since, following that stretch, um, I felt this kind of like the bubble, like a pocket of, I don't know what, start to kind of like expand. I don't know if it's just in my head or, or whatever, but uh, I did have an injury to my back, and I feel like that stretch helped expose it. I, yeah, I agree. I, I, I've, I've, yeah. I've had an x-ray that didn't see anything, but I don't think I was hyperextending my spine that way. To where yeah, it doesn't I, sound like it doesn't sound like you have something uh, skeletal. It sounds muscular, and that wouldn't show up on a plain x-ray anyway. Um, sounds like you could benefit from a good uh, evaluation by a physical therapist, a massage therapist, a chiropractor, somebody to look at what's going on in your back. And as far as a torn a ligament or a tendon in an ankle and a stroke. Not likely. The The procedure that would happen there is that you would have to get a phlebitis of your leg, have a clot from your leg break off, and then go to your heart in which there's a hole. And the hole in your heart allows the clot to go from one side of the heart to the other, and that would cause a stroke. Highly unlikely. However, there's another thing that has been known to happen, and that is in hip fractures, um, the bone marrow fat can get out and get into the blood, and a fat embolus can happen. And that can actually lodge in the lung, and that can cause a pulmonary embolus, and this kind of stuff can really cause uh, serious illness. Um, but not likely for a sprained ankle. Oh, well, yeah, it's, I think it's beyond spraying, and it just seemed to coincide with a lot of deterioration to my health. It happened like 10 years ago, and nobody sees that either. Nobody can see well, that either. So, Well, sometimes when you trigger inflammation like that, now a severe inflammation, that will cause echoes in the body forever until you actually deal with the inflammation trigger and can calm that back down. Okay, I do feel something there when I uh, curve my feet uh, a little bit, like I like wadding up a fist, but I do it with my feet and foot actually, 
and I do a symmetric kind of like feel for it. And there's something there. It almost feels like it's uh, just there kind of hanging out, trying to obstruct. Like, I don't know, not obstructing. It's just like it's there. It's a wide right yeah. there. Yes, you 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 can. Have you seen a physical therapist? Have you seen a good um, 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 orthopedist? Either one. No, just primary care people (laughs) who say uh, I should be fine. And when I try to go through that process, well, that's an interesting statement. Uh, You should you should be fine. What a great statement! You're not though. So what are they going to do about it? Since you should be, but you're not. They're not giving help. Time to find a specialist. I would go see a physical therapist and let them look at your body and then go from there. If they think you need an orthopedist, I would go to see an orthopedic surgeon. But it doesn't sound like you need surgery. sounds like you need body work. Muscle activation technique personal trainers are also good. Look up muscle activation techniques online and see if you can find a local practitioner. I know there's about six of them in Tampa. Mm, all right. Hey, well, thank you so much. Uh, six. There are a lot more people in Tampa now, though. <laughs> yes, but yes. I get in. Okay, DeAndre, have a great day. Um, Nancy, we have 30 seconds, so I don't think I can get to you today. Uh, I'm pretty sorry about that. I'm just going to do a couple quick emails. How can I get off levothyroxine, Randy asks. He has hypothyroid. He had one part of his thyroid removed in 2009. They say he has hypothyroidism. He probably does. Randy, you probably do have hypothyroidism because you've had part of your thyroid gland removed. However, with good support of the other half, you may not need the medication, but you need somebody to coach you through this. So you need a functional medicine doctor. Check out Functional Medicine Florida for more information on functional medicine or go to the Institute for Functional Medicine.org because we have lots of information for you on actually support thyroid function. It's really easy to do and really helps to um, stay focused that way on your health. Um, we're down to the wire here. So I just want to remind you that two weeks, we're going to have an interview guest, Ami Shah. We're going to talk about Ayurvedic medicine, Ayurvedic health um, on uh, about his movie called The Natural Law. Uh, check out our um, uh, website here, the landing page for Healthy Step Show. There should be a button there to click to go to see Amish because we're going to talk with him. And there'll be one on Functional Medicine Florida website too. So um, I look forward to talking with all you again. Thank you, DJ Spaceship, for running the boards. Thank you, um, uh, Eileen, I believe, who's been on the phones. And thank you all WMNF staff and all my lovely listeners. Uh, let's do this again next week. It's going to be another Ask Me Anything show, and I look forward to chatting with all of you. Have an excellent week, stay healthy, and take at least one little healthy step every day to make your life more functional. Ciao.